Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-hosts, Ms. Purrington and Mookie. Those are my cats. Comedywham.com <laughs> is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, our upcoming festivals page, and that uh, we list festivals from across the country and even across the world. And our 2023 Cap City Comedy Club uh, FPIA contest page is live, posting the results as they happen. We are best known for our events page for live comedy shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW, where 100% of the entries you see come from comics and producers. If you want your show featured on the calendar, simply click the Submit a Show button from the top of the homepage or events page and complete the short survey. It's free and easy. Tag us on your Instagram stories and we'll share your show promo to our Instagram followers. Want to support these resources that we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Click Support CW, the little icon on the top right of our homepage, to see the ways that you can help us. And now back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the comedy scene as fascinating offstage as it is on stage. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, I am talking to somebody who is uh, originally from Alabama, trained in Chicago, and is now based in Los Angeles. Uh, you've seen him all over TV, whether you realize it or not. I watched uh, his, his highlights reel, and I'm like, oh, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that. <laughs> uh, and now you're going to get to know uh, his name as well and all of the projects that he's been on. Uh, you can hear his Bullies podcast with a fellow high school band geek, so we're going to get into that. And uh, we're talking to him because his LMAOF Los Angeles episode is out this August. Uh, LMAOF features the up-and-coming comedians of OnlyFans, and uh, if you haven't figured it out, uh, we've been talking to a few of uh, the LMAOF Los Angeles comics, and as I have done my research, uh, the, this pair of three, this trio of three that I've been talking to, they're all best friends. They all talk about each other, so it's really funny. <laughs> And now, finally, Comedy Wham presents our guest, Martin Morrow. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Um, in in your case, it was a lot easier to say you've seen him all over TV than try to list out every single credit you have. I mean, I I was really, really impressed by how diverse and broad your appearances have been. Thank uh, you. So that's very cool. Uh, and and then the other random trivia thing is, I hope that we can get into this, um, but uh, I didn't introduce your by your middle middle name, but I hope there's a really cool story to that middle name that you have. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, sort of. So my, my full name is Martin Mandela Morrow. Uh, essentially, before, you know, when I was, when my mom was pregnant with me, my dad was going through, I don't want to call it a militant phase, but he uh, he he just wanted me to have a very uh, black name, and I'm, I'm appreciative of it. So Martin is after Martin Luther King Jr. Mandela is after Nelson Mandela, um, and I don't think we anticipated. So my my cousin is Mandela Barnes, uh, who ran for Senate of Wisconsin, 
and uh and so it's it's uh, that that was always like growing up a point of contention of like who took whose name even yeah. though he's a little bit older than me but i still feel like he he took my name so well i feel i feel extra dumb because i i honed in on the mandela but you are young enough that i i thought the martin would have been for martin lawrence oh. <laughs> No, I uh, that that would that would have been cool. Uh, I don't I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if, I don't think the show is out quite yet, unless they retroactively <laughs> named me, oh, no. or if they or if they, or if they anticipated Martin Lawrence, this this uh, kid from Detroit would blow up. <laughs> so there you go. There's my uh, my uh, dumb moment for the for the podcast episode. All right. Well, Martin, uh, it's great to have you here. I actually have an official icebreaker question. Yeah. And that is one word to describe your past. One word to describe my past. Um ooh. Dumb. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't think I I was not necessarily dumb, but my so my mom was my uh uh vice principal for several years mm-hmm. and I remember she would say something like she said, every other year you do something dumb. Like you, like you're. She's like, you're not bad, and it goes. You know, th- there's plenty of like bad kids who would be at the school, um, but like, uh, like every other year, I'd be like, let me just do this dumb, mischievous, mischievous thing. And so that was kind of my, uh, my thing of just doing something dumb every now and then. But yeah. I, I think, I think, yeah, I think it's good. It's supposed to keep you on your toes, you know. Sure, sure. And as a parent, it definitely does. Uh, <laughs> now was this in elementary middle high school or all of the above all of the above oh gosh (laughs) yeah and so finally like i think senior year i kind of mellowed out and was like okay i think i think now i'm about to be an adult (laughs) finally sinks in yeah so uh other than being a cut up and a little bit mischievous was there an element of comedy in your life there was, but I, you know, it's it's funny. I, I think that I was always kind of the sidekick. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember in middle school, there's this kid Scotty who everyone thought was the funniest dude, and I was always kind of his like I was like his Arsenio to his Eddie Murphy. Uh, and and then I, then one day I found out that he was stealing jokes from Comedy Central, so he would just like say random things. We're like, "Wow, this kid's super funny." This is like eighth grade. We thought he was the funniest dude. And then I, I called him out for. Uh, I was like, "Hey, I heard I heard Mitch Hedberg on uh, on on Comedy Central presents do that joke." And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." I go, "You didn't come up with that. You're you're 12. What are you What are you talking about?" <laughs> so you were obviously watching the the specials yourself um but in the classroom or or in performance was that were you were you a performer i mean i i've made the reference to you being a, a band geek so you were obviously performing music yes I, I mostly did that i did start doing theater uh kind of later on in in high school uh i did a i did i was in a musical and then in college i, I kind of expanded upon doing theater because i enjoyed it uh, now I almost minored in theater, but I would have had to stay at Auburn an extra uh, semester just to do one credit, and I was like, that didn't really seem worth it. Um, and then, and then in hindsight, I found out that my entire degree is worthless, so it, it really didn't matter in the long run. But, uh, but yeah, I um, 
<laughs> I, I, I wasn't as performative as I am now. I, I kind of like to be more so behind the scenes. And I always thought that that would have been my path. But, you know, uh, the, the, the divine entities of the world took me a different path. Yeah. So what what uh, may I ask what your worthless degree is? Uh, yes, my degree is in radio, TV and film. Oh. Uh, yeah. The film part. I mean, that's the film. The- yeah, I'm in an outlet. Well, I mean, now not so much while well, there's a strike, but <laughs> radio is not podcast killed radio. Uh, TV, no one really watches. Like I, I like I should have got a journalism degree or something, but it's fine. I don't I don't think any of them really matter now. So uh-huh. everything's different. Well, one of your other talents that uh, I don't, you know, people that, that know you may not realize this, but you are like a writer um mm-hmm. and copy editor so that's you know kind of a, a a good skill to have you know again now that everything is on strike you, you may not be able to practice it in your chosen profession um or trade you can still do stand up but mm-hmm. uh i mean that's that's a good skill did you have you always felt or recognized your ability to write I did. I, I used to uh, win a lot of like essay contests uh, throughout high school, especially. Um, so I won the it was the Coca Cola Coca Cola Martin Luther King I Have a Dream uh, contest, and it was like a fifteen hundred dollars scholarship. So I think I won that. I want to say in like tenth or eleventh grade. Um, but yeah, I I always enjoyed public speaking. Like I never was afraid of that, and I and I enjoyed writing and especially like things that dealt with, you know, my personal life or things that um, dealt with like race or inclusion, uh, stuff that's literally been important to me uh, since I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Is that, does that hearken to your, your parents or does that hearken to uh, living in Alabama and, you know, living in the South? Where do you think that that comes from? I think it, it's a mix of both, um, more so probably my own experiences of living in Alabama. But I've, you know, I think as I've gotten older, I, like I tell people all the time, every every place has the South. Uh, like if you if you go to if you go to Illinois, there is a, a part where it's like, you know, you could throw a rock and it feels just like Alabama, um, Indiana primarily. But that doesn't that doesn't we, we don't put those in the same umbrella like there's. Play, the Orange County is essentially a version of the South. Um, Texas, you know, I mean, it is the South, but Southwest, but you know what I mean. You guys have your 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 mud your mud holes too, so yeah. Um, you know, I've I've mentioned a couple of times now that I talked to Brandy Denise and Mateen Stewart, uh, who mm-hmm. you know, you, you the three of you have are on that Los Angeles OnlyFans episode and unlike you you went to college in your home state uh you didn't uh escape the the mm-hmm. state that, that you were uh raised in um so what was your what did you feel like doing after you graduated from auburn so for me uh i'd wanted to be a director and I wanted to uh, do whatever I could in the film industry. Um, so pr- so my senior year, I interned at Ugly Betty, but it was their last season. So it, it, and they didn't know it was going to be their last season. Like we, I, I'm there interning and it 
the crazy part is I had had two options. Like I I got the ugly baby internship first or ugly bed, excuse me, ugly baby internship first. And then like a week later, MTV called and they're like, Hey, we'd love to have you on as an intern. And, uh, and I, I was like, Oh, I'm already doing this other one. Um, and now I look back and literally mid season, you know, ugly Betty gets canceled while I'm there. And, uh, and, and I was, that's when I was like really diving into doing stand up as well. Like I get to see like, you know, Aziz and sorry and, uh, uh, Donald Glover and Peggy O'Leary and all these people perform on a regular basis in New York. And I would, I would do open mics and stuff and it would just bomb horribly <laughs> in New York. Cause I was coming in with like this you know, 21 year old Alabama perspective. And I had kind of a chip on my shoulder and stuff like that. And I was doing like a lot of characters uh, and things of that nature. Um, and, and, and fast forward, like if I had like the person who ended up going with the uh, internship at MTV is now like head something or other of comedy central. So <laughs> it's, it's like, so it's crazy to think like, Oh, she has like a, a whole family and I'm like a, a stay a lowly stand-up comedian in LA <laughs> like in a one bedroom apartment. She has a family. Fa- like I saw their wedding photos. It looked incredible. Uh it's like, yeah, you can afford an incredible wedding with MTV money, with Viacom cash. Like so yeah, I, I I'm sure there's an alternate universe me who who took that path and is, you know, probably six foot tall now or something too. So <laughs> But you got to work on a project with, you know, American Ferrara. Yeah, yeah. Uh, American. Yeah, America, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I met her, like, once, so I don't know. <laughs> Vanessa Williams is very sweet, so that was kind of cool. I got to meet Vanessa Williams. That is cool. <laughs> so uh, I, I was wondering when the, the, the stand-up comedy bug was going to start, you know, creeping in. And you said you, you did uh, start doing some open mics. What was the impetus for, for doing that? Just so the, the, these other big names and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go do this now. No, I actually started before. Uh, so I started when I was about 18, 19 years old uh at college um at, at auburn where i went and i i started in a duo with my my best friend uh josh and we, we went by tubby and martin and the, the way we kind of got into it was our friend group had it was like five of us who went who went from our high school in trustful to college at auburn and two of them had previously dated but she cheated on him while her, like we were like three of us were seniors when they were freshmen in college and yeah. she had cheated on him while he was away at college with his best friend's younger cousin and 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 he found out and it was like this whole thing but then we still they wanted to like try to work it out and then he also had a crush on her best friend who was her roommate also so they were always kind of flirty and there was always like a fight and me and this other guy were just like stuck in the like stuck in the middle, like, hey. Uh, so we were like, we should probably find our own thing. And we started writing jokes in my dorm, and we would do. They had monthly open mics uh, at the Foy Center, so we would go and do the the mics uh, when we could. And then eventually, you know, I think he got a girlfriend, so I was like, I'll try this on my own. And that's kind of how everything branched out from there. Yeah. Um, and how did you feel about uh, starting out when you were doing it solo? 
kind of nervous, but also I think that like our at the time, like we 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 just stopped. We weren't writing as much. We weren't creating as much. And um, and and the first time I did it, it felt like really good. And then I did a competition where I bombed horribly. Like it was one of the worst. And it was like in front of the entire, not in, the entire school, but it felt like that in that moment. Yeah. Uh, for for this giant college theater, and um, and I'm like checking notes on my wrist and stuff, and just yeah, it just was it was rough. So I was like, well, I think I'm done with this. I never want to do this again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fast forward to a year later, uh, you know, me and him got back together, and we're like doing Birmingham shows, and then I was able to kind of like I had to wait till I was 21 because a lot of places wouldn't let me in. Oh, so yeah. I was I was young, yeah. Uh. So when I turned 21, then it was kind of like, oh, okay, I can like really, you know, get the get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. And so we do some stuff together and I do some stuff solo. And like my jokes are very, they're very 21 year old, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Alabama guy. Like it was a, like everyone was, it was like 2009-ish, 2009. And everyone was just kind of talking about the same thing because our, our influences were each other. Because, you know, we we hung around like young 30s guys and older 20s guys and all they were talking about in Alabama then because it was like an it was the alt scene and you know the conversations were just very like uh very blue it was a lot of very blue humor and a lot of like edgy like a lot of edge stuff um so I, I think that I think that moving to New York uh helped me adapt into a little bit of my own voice and a little bit of getting away from the pack of you know what we were saying in Alabama yeah because I, I am struck by your your stand-up experience is, is an I- identity uh, tied to first the duo comedy group and then even doing it on your own still feels like well but I'm kind of still part of this other duo that you then go back to uh, so yeah that's that's got to be that's got to be tough. Um, the other thing that I'm struck by is you're a, a gifted writer and you're not afraid of the stage. You've been performing in the past. And yet this thing that you've tried kind of seems to kick your your butt uh, at the beginning. So with that, that skill set that you have and when you finally start doing comedy in New York, where it's kind of like uh, uh, jumping in a pool of sharks. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you feel like, okay, now my my talent and my lack of fear about being on stage, my my skill as a writer, I can I can finally level up. Yeah, it, well, it, it's funny. I think I like just failed into it oh. because <laughs> yeah, I, I I swear I would go home crying. Oh. Uh, cause I was, I was, I was, you know, I was so bad, but I thought I, I came in with this mentality of like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of the big dog in Birmingham. Yeah. And then I go to New York where everyone is, you know, I'm, I'm like my contemporaries are like Kevin Barnett and, uh, uh, Mike Lawrence and, you know, people like that. And like these, these, that was like the kind of the generation right above me. Uh-huh. Um, and they were always just killing that. Like at every open mic, they kill, they they have new stuff. They're writing. They're creating. They're doing great stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm I'm staying out and up till two, three in the morning, and then I have to go 
be an intern at 8 a.m. And so I'm like just killing my body and I'm not I'm not funny, but I couldn't stop going to these mics and doing these things. And, you know, I think it's some some of them you have to spend five dollars and stuff like that to maybe get three minutes. And and yeah, it just was like, I don't know if it, it felt very uh, it felt very like I was just abusing myself in a way. But I and I couldn't yeah. figure out why. And then I think it just took like one joke to get people laughing and from there i you know kind of was able to uh ride that wave yeah are you a super analytical person but by, by uh, just, um i'm just wondering when you figured it when you when you got that one joke out and you realize oh this one's getting a reaction even though others you know i've been beating myself up against the wall with you know this new york experience but this one, let me figure out why this one's working. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In a way, I, I think the reason that one, because I, I remember I like just kind of did it as a throwaway joke and like in an open mic and uh, and it, it like it got an applause break. And I never really felt that before, uh, especially from other comics. And like my, my big thing, I remember when I was starting out, I just, I just was like, I just want Mike Lawrence to respect me. That's all I, that's all I want. Uh, Mike Lawrence to respect me. Um, and I remember at the, it was like the tail end of my internship in New York and I was getting ready to move back to Alabama and he, uh, he acknowledged me on stage. And that was like such a, I think I, I think I cry, I cry a lot in these <laughs> stories. I think I cried after that. Cause it was such a, like, big moment for me um but, but yeah I, I i noticed that the difference with that joke versus my other jokes i think my other jokes came from a kind of young and mean-spirited place uh that that wasn't like that traditional sort of new york mean it was like this like personal like you know i was 21 i was going through my first breakup uh like on top of being in a new city and stuff like that and i, I wasn't really talking about anything serious um and then I finally kind of figure out like, oh, I can be myself, but also talk about something that's funny. And it, it doesn't have to be necessarily about me in particular, but I can talk about being black or, you know, how I look and, and that kind of experience and how I think. And that was sort of the the bridge that that opened uh, that opened up to me finding. I don't want to say my voice because I feel like that's that's an ever changing thing, but finding what was funny and what was good that's huge that that's a huge pivot in in understanding what your what your role is on stage like i you know i i watch a lot of of comedy and i i i know exactly the type of comedy i suspect that i know exactly the type of comedy that we're you doing and it's uh the image that came up in my mind is uh, the comic that just decides, well, they're bombing, so they're just going to start insulting the audience. And that's not what I'm saying that you did. It's just that's the image that I got. And it's like when you realize, well, you don't have to insult the audience. You just need to figure out what you want to say and say it in a, you know, get get to the funny part of what you want to say. And that way you don't have to use the crutch of insulting the audience or, you know, being mean to to. Um, you know, whether it's the audience or just, you know, some entity. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I like, I like seeing an evolution in a comics development 
where they go from, a, they're clearly using a crutch of some kind and then realizing, oh, this is actually a way to be funny without that crutch. And, you know, it's like watching a sculpture unfold. Oh, okay. Enough, enough philosophizing from, from. No, me. <laughs> that was a, that was a beautiful analogy. I felt I was, it was, I was like watching a, a painting. <laughs> uh, so did you end up going back to Alabama after that, that, you know, epiphany? I did. Uh, so I, so the internship ended, my, um, my lease was up, you know, I did, I'd ran out of money cause I wasn't really getting paid at the internship. So mm-hmm. my, and, and, and I had talked to, I remember talking to some of the, because I was a production intern. And I remember talking to some of the PAs and I was like, yeah, you know, my, I kind of want to move back here, do more PA work and like look for that. And they're like, don't do that. They're like, if you, they said all of us started off with this dream or goal of, you know, I want to be a writer or I want to be a director or I want to be an AD uh, or I want to be an actor. And then you, they, they ended up going into pro- being a uh, production assistant and it's good money. And it's, you know, you, you know, the hours, you know, where you're going and they just kind of got stuck in that, those roles. Mm-hmm. And so the warning was like, don't, if you, if you do PA work, you're going to be doing PA work wow. and you, you won't have time for the stuff that you really need and want to do. So focus on that. So I, I went back home uh, to Alabama and, uh, and my, my goal was to move back to New York either that fall or that um, or the following spring. Uh, and and then it was just like a series of unfortunate, like my grandparents got into debt. So I, I couldn't really um, I couldn't really like shift my focus financially because or, or like ask for it. And, and I've never been one who's been able to ask for help anyways. But um, but like our, our the family's focus kind of shifted to we have to make sure our grandparents are taken care of. Yeah. And then my dad died like a couple of months after that. So it was just like, a, it was a very rough return and very rough summer. And uh, I started working as a, uh, what do you, what do you, I was a telemarketer mm. for a few months. And that was like my way of getting money. And and then I, uh, my, my cousin had gotten, not gotten me, but like we, we bought a new car and I, the car that I had gotten was i was like oh my mom this was one for my mom like you know but i'm driving it but i the one i bought was because it was a car it was like her dream car it was like a white bmw and the thing is like bmws are very expensive to repair and uh <laughs> and this car uh ended up having like a lot of issues so now i'm like having to pay off a car and like so everything just kept getting pushed back and kept happening and it, it was it was a lot it was a very that was a that was a rough year yeah so then uh what allowed you to to go to the next stop which was chicago yeah uh so baron vaughn had uh hit me up and he was like hey uh you should uh because he was kind of my mentor in new york he was uh a guy who guided me in a lot of ways and like they we used to look a lot alike back then uh and they would call me baby baron (laughs) um and uh, he had, he had recommended, he was like, Hey, I think you should go to Chicago and do second city. You need to meet this woman, Deanna Griffin Irons, who is a producer there and does a lot of classes and just pretty much the jack of all trades, especially in, in terms of like diversity and inclusion at second city. So he, he gave us the intro and I had, I think at the time, literally a thousand dollars. And so I had to, I had this debate of like, okay, 
because uh, there was a person who I was going to move in with in New York. And if I moved in with her, then my thousand dollars would have gone. It would have been gone in one month. Yeah. And then I got a, an, an offer for an apartment in Chicago that was $800. So if I did that, then I would have at least had, you know, $200 left. So I was like, all right, I guess that seems like a, a more financially viable option. He, you know, he recommends it. I know a few people there. Um, but, and so that's, that's kind of, so the next year, uh, January of 2011, ended up moving to Chicago, took a Amtrak train all the way up. <laughs> and what did you, uh, what did you think of Chicago? Or did you, did you know that it was a, a pretty important comedy hub? I had no clue. Uh, that's yeah. I I think I think because of just kind of the Alabama bubble, you know, you don't and, and in general you don't really think of like, oh, this place is a major city or this place is a major hub for for comedy or you know this that the third. Um, and, and like it's it's which is crazy to think about now because that's where like so many amazing you know from Kumel to Laurel to you know Bernie Mac like all of these fantastic people came out of the city um and uh and yeah i i i i don't think i i don't at the time i didn't really it didn't register it was just like oh it's a place that's cold uh because you know again it's just i think the the nature of alabama in general is you don't think about like i, I never thought i'd even leave alabama i thought i'd be stuck there forever and i'd end up being like a, a, a news reporter or a cameraman or something for you know wbrc so the idea that I'm going on a train to this this place with big buildings was just very, you know, out of my wheelhouse. Um, so it was cool. It was very cool getting there. I think I had a another kind of rough start because I I tend to have a very cheery disposition. Like I have resting approachable face. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I think a, a lot of uh people, especially when you're new to a new to a town, they don't um they're, they're not as welcoming to the idea of someone being happy. Uh, so, so me being like, you know, wanting to hang out and, Oh, you know, what's your name? Da, da, da. Like they're not, I was, I was too nice, uh, which, which sounds insane, but that's, that's what people, they said you were nice and we didn't trust you. Yeah. Um, and so I, I ran into a lot of trouble in that regard of people trying to like figure me out or figure out like, why was I happy or why was I nice or, you know, what's his motivation? Will he be around? That kind of thing. Uh, When you were, uh, so you got into the the second city. uh, Is it the conservatory? What what did Mm -hmm. you do? Did you go sketch or improv at second city? Uh, So a little bit of both. Uh, So I started off with uh, this group called Brown Co., um so that's like a, a series and I, and I would do like all of the uh so i got a diversity scholarship uh so i would take classes that were mostly sketch based but i would also do um a lot of uh a lot of a lot of improv stuff so because that you kind of get, get taught both at the same time um so I, I was able to do a lot of those um a lot a lot of those classes and a lot of those uh uh, what do you call it uh, like conservatory i did i think like 2014 or 15 uh so that was like a few years afterwards but i did a lot of the brown co shows which is their like diversity crew who would do we do archive material and do improv 
and we we would be able to write some of our own stuff every now and then but like by at the group with like chris red like he was a big part of that so me, me and him became friends from that and we we used to write together a lot that that was one of the things i i saw in, in your highlight reels was oh my god chris red's right there yeah um did you have did you have any time to do stand-up while you were doing the classes and, and the performances with with second city i did so uh i would do i would, I would work usually during the day uh at first i started at first started well my first job i had in chicago was i would forage for mushrooms i would help like <laughs> and i know i know nothing about foraging about mushrooms about any type of plant or vegetable uh, and yet I was out there trying my best and, you know, hope, you know, getting $60 for that. Um, that was my first job. And then, and then I worked at a Jamba juice for like two weeks and I like quit slash got fired. Uh, it was like one of those memes like, we don't think you're happy here. I was like, I don't think I'm happy here. Like, all right, let's, you know, nice, nice to meet you. Um, and then I became a tour guide and that was, that was like kind of the, the tougher balance. Cause I would tour guide during the day and then i have to like rush and do a show uh usually at second city uh in the evening or like rehearse in the evening and then uh i would fill in the gaps like days i didn't have rehearsal or didn't have a second city show to stand up um and then after a while like sometimes i would do multiple shows a night um and you know would do like kind of the and especially like when the laugh factory came there like that was that was huge for us yeah so since you were learning so much about sketch and improv did you find that your stand-up was now like kicking into high gear oh big time uh i think i was able to integrate like a lot of voices and singing and um uh, uh a lot of crowd work and stuff like that uh in in into my stand-up and, and into storytelling yeah. and it, it was it was like it was great uh i don't i don't think i was talking about a lot that was substantial uh but like it worked for what needed to work um and so yeah it was it was it was cool uh like it, it very much all gelled together in a in a big way yeah yeah that's uh constant thread that I that I've observed from my conversations is if you can learn how to do sketch if you can learn how to do improv it's going to impact uh your abilities as as a stand-up performer and, and vice versa with with the others as well so so how long did you end up staying in Chicago and did some of the acting things start coming through because Chicago is a fairly you know active film and, and tele te yeah film and television scene so was that were you starting to pick up acting some of your acting work? Yeah, uh, so I was in Chicago in total in seven years. Uh, so I've and I, I left briefly and then came back in 2012. Um, so from 2012 to 2017, I was in Chicago, and I visited LA for the first time in 2013 because there was like a a manager who was like looking at me and he was like, "Oh, I think you should move out here." I was like, "Oh." I, I, love it but uh, you know I, I, there's like a few more things i need to accomplish and like finish out um but yeah it was uh uh that's when more acting stuff started coming through uh i was i got like i got an a i had i went through like a few agents out there but um but it, it was it was it was weird because i think a lot of i, I would like like looking back at auditions for chicago pd and chicago fire and 
all these different shows that were, you know, kind of kind of big deals. Um, but I I cared so much about being like likable or I would work, I, I would get in my head like I, I'm I was very invasive of my own brain. Huh. And, and I think that it, it, it can become a trap in a lot of ways. Uh, so I, I wasn't really book. I would book some stuff like commercials every now and then or an industrial every now and then. But I I was so nervous about everything and about wanting everyone to like me or to want everything to go super well that I forgot to just kind of treat myself nice and just kind of relax into the moment. So I didn't I didn't book as much then that I think I if I had the mentality now, I probably could have. But this also hindsight's 2020. Yeah. Um, but that's but that's where I got um last comic standing. I was still in Chicago and uh what was uh why with Hannibal Burris, which was a comedy central show uh I booked all in Chicago. Wow, that's that's great. That's great yeah. stuff. I am so curious about what it took for you to uh break out and it might be an ongoing thing because it sounds like it's a personality trait of yours to want to uh make sure everybody else is is happy taken care of uh the things like that people like you um what did it take to break you out of that mentality as far as you landing to to help you uh, land work as opposed to self-sabotage yourself uh, I think it took me self-sabotaging myself. <laughs> to... <laughs> I guess you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think when you when you have a moment where you recognize the people who the, the only people who you should care about who like you are yourself and your family, and even then, even if your family doesn't like you, it doesn't matter sometimes. Yeah. Um, but for me, like I went through a very tumultuous relationship. Uh, that was like kind of a a more like I try to be a private person uh, in a lot of ways uh, but this was like more of a public breakup than I normally would have liked um, and dealing with that and dealing with like you know friends who are like having to choose sides and stuff like that uh, I think it, it made me just sort of like I, I disconnected for a long time like I, I uh, stopped doing comedy I was like I became a security guard when I, when I first moved to LA Oh uh yeah yeah i was like maybe I, maybe i'm not cut out for this and at that point too i was 28 i think and i've been doing comedy since i was 18 so I, I never really had a break and i remember talking to my mom she was like even after your dad died you didn't take time to grieve you just kept doing shows and doing mics and going out all the time uh and and i and i, I recognized like oh wow i haven't i haven't cried for real i haven't uh <laughs> I haven't like sat with my thoughts. I've just been on the go and running and running and running and running. And I, I think it's, it's, it's that type of thing that a lot of people, especially in entertainment, they don't, they don't recognize that it's okay to think and it's okay to be, and it's okay to make mistakes. And it's okay to like, like be honest with yourself. Uh, because, you know, I, I think just, John Mulaney said in his last special, but it's like likability is a trap. Like we, none of us knew, you know, what he was going through or, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, what, you know, what his divorce looks like, but people, they, it, we, we built up this image in our heads of, oh, he's this guy. And I think that was a lot of my, my issues, especially like in my twenties as a comedian is 
I I was stuck in this like sing songy, oh Martin's sweet and nice to everybody kind of deal. And I think I got I got used in a lot of ways as a result of that. Uh, because I was just like, I, I think a lot of people felt that I should have just been happy to be there. And so when I started achieving, I started like kind of speaking up for myself. It, you know, it, it landed me in in some some sort of beefs with with people where people were like, would I remember one guy because uh, I, I used to I used to, you know, we talked about a little bit about the bullies podcast, um, but like I I would try to hold down the bulliness inside of me. But every now and then it would still pop back up. And now it's called a roast battle. So yeah. lucky them. But <laughs> but back then, like if you're just like roast, like if you're in a circle of people and you're roasting someone, there's always going to be one guy who is not expecting to get roasted. So yeah. Yeah. it was. Yeah. So but that was like I remember it was like a throwaway joke that I said to this guy and then he brought it up like years later. So it was something I I hadn't even thought about and like something that clearly stuck with him. Um, so I, I think that sometimes you, you just have to recognize that not everyone's going to like you. And that's also, that's not only, uh, it's not only like a good thing, like no one, everyone shouldn't like you. Like if they do, then you're doing something wrong. Uh, I think Larry David said that best. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, and so I so once I stopped caring as much, I allowed myself to be real and I allowed myself to be vulnerable and I allowed myself to play a little bit more on stage or in auditions. And I think that's when I started being able to like book more things. Wow. Uh man, Martin, I you need to start a, a class because I want I want everybody to like me. So it's like uh I, I i'm so used to it <laughs> yeah thanks um, but i don't i don't know what the mean version of me would look like either or not the mean i'm not saying that the, if you're if if you're not nice to everybody that doesn't mean that you the opposite is you have to be mean to everybody um, yeah I, I, th- I think it's look at it more so is just trying to be nicer to yourself yeah because i i feel like you know i i can't speak for you but i know i just and and even even now, I just had this inability to say no to people and that inability to say no to others means you weren't saying yes to yourself or saying yes to a partner or saying yes to family, uh, different things like that. So I, I think a lot of it is, you know, especially in comedy is we, we try to prioritize uh what what is what is good for my career or what is good like what is good for the night like if i if i say yes to this will it lead to a story will it lead to an adventure will it lead to a joke will it lead to a relationship or you know uh, a, a gig so yeah. but you know sometimes it's okay to say no if it means protecting yourself yeah yeah okay so we're gonna follow the linear here and you you end up in la but you're you've stopped comedy and you're doing a security guard work what reels you back in i got back in because a friend of mine uh she, she's a very talented ventriloquist uh hannah laskowski was like hey i'm doing this show do you want to come and I, I i don't think i'd really been to a show in a while at that point so i was like yeah sure i'll, I'll come check it out and uh most of the comics on this show were so bad that i was like okay what am i what am i doing why am i sitting on the sidelines watching how much awful like i you know i i'm again i was kind of you know self-flagellating again i was abusing myself by not doing this thing that i that i loved 
and and I, I was like, I know I'm funny. I know I'm good at this. Uh, so I, you know, I, I'll just have to, I'll take the sting of, oh, this person doesn't like you, or this person does like you, or this person, whatever, whatever. Um, and I'll just kind of, I'll get rid of that mindset and just have fun on stage again. And so I think that that's, that's what kind of got me back into the fold, uh, was seeing how awful a lot of, I guess, LA comedy, but I think just more in general, like, you know, that's, you you, you the, the thing about comedy is there's there's so many comedians especially now that not all of them are going to be good and that's not to say that they can't because like you know clearly like my whole trajectory is i was a bad comic who kind of rose through the whatever um but yeah there was there was this show was it was so bad and i was like okay i'll i'll, I'll get back into it <laughs> which <laughs> Awesome. So did you jump in full on with the stand-up or, and did, or did you do stand-up and then figure out how to get back at the improv sketch and acting? Uh, so I started off back in stand-up uh, and then I saw because I, I was like, you know, I I didn't really want to do as much sketch because I, I think that sketch in LA doesn't have it, it doesn't really have the same kind of bonds and ties as like chicago sketch yeah. and, and in a way like even ucb in new york i think it's like huge but excuse me uh so i i ended up doing more improv i was like you know i have more fun doing improv like i i, I had kind of felt again trapped in the sketch world because you you're doing the same sketch every single night and we're hurt you know so i didn't really want to do that again and so that's when i, I started doing uh this harry potter improv group called the show that should not be named <laughs> which had been which had been around for a few years before that, but I you know I was fortunate to audition and join and befriend a lot of the people in that group, like uh, you know uh, Russ Guberman and Stephanie Pressman, who were just delightful people and humans and amazing all around. And uh, and then from there, uh, I was like, okay, maybe I can get back into acting. I'll start I'll start acting again. And and I you know uh, had reached out to someone who was connected and I uh, got my agent through them and then like just started doing auditions and the auditions went well and you know I got the stuff I got and the, I, the, for the first time I was able to not obsess over auditions like I think I did previously yeah. so like if I, I was I, I would go in with the mentality of I'm going to come in prepared I'm going to know all my stuff um, and then if I as soon as I get done with this audition I'm going to throw it away out of my brain uh and until i get the call back and if i don't get the call back it's okay yeah. uh yeah there's you know there's plenty plenty more and plenty i won't get yeah yeah so you really it seems like los angeles really gave you the opportunity to change your mindset and become nicer to yourself and you know not not freaking out about every single audition and i mean i'm sure you still do i th i think that's the nature of the audition world is you know, because you're auditioning for a big, big thing, it's hard not to freak out about, yeah. about am I getting the call back or not. Well, I, I think now one way of looking at it is, you know, they want me to audition. So I should be, I'm happy that they want me to do that. Like, that's cool that I get to audition for XYZ project. Yeah. And, and if I, if I'm in the door, I know that I'm in, the, in a door that there are millions of people who aren't in. Uh, and if I get the callback, then that's a callback that I know that thousands of people aren't getting. And if I get a second callback or if I get, you know, on set or if I get this, that, you know, something that hundreds of people did not get in. So 
I, I just try to take everything with a lot more gratitude because I think I took I took a lot of stuff for granted uh, as far as like, oh, I have this thing, but what's the next thing? And now I'm just kind of able to be like, I'm happy I have this thing or I'm happy I got the opportunity to do this thing. or I'm happy I got the opportunity to meet this person. So that, you know, that's just a different just a different way to look at it. This is such an interesting bookend uh, to uh, my conversation with Brandy because she is like polar opposite. Like she's always thinking about the next thing. And I asked her, would you ever sit and think in the you know moment? Ah, I just did this really cool thing. Sit and reflect and and you know just sit with it to enjoy it and and be happy that you got to do the thing. So it was it was interesting. You know the there's all sorts of you know philosophies about life and accomplishments that, that come through when when I talk to comics and it's just interesting the the bookend here with with her conversation yeah. um, so uh, we are are starting to to run near the end of time but I feel like there's so much more I could talk about with you uh, I I am obliged to cover the the OnlyFans and the LMAOF special. Uh, obviously, you had to have been recognized as a stand-up comic to be considered for this. Were you uh, at all expecting uh, this? And how long were you in LA? Because I'm a little fuzzy on your timeline being in LA mm. to you know this past year where you would have had to where you would have taped this this special. Um, and, and what do you think uh, made you stand out? Uh, so I, I moved to LA in September of 2017. Okay. And we recorded our uh, LMAOFs in June of, of this year, which is 2023, in case anyone in the year 2027 is listening. Right. Uh, they're like, yeah, <laughs> going through the archives of comedy wham. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, I... I'd been recommended and um and kind of like you know I was able to sit in a few clips and got highlighted and and I, I I was recommended by like someone who has seen me consistently do well because I think oftentimes you know especially with with any type of taping or special or things of that nature uh, a lot of people are like hey can you just recommend me and I'm like I don't I don't know you that well or I you know I don't I haven't seen you do well enough to feel comfortable doing that so uh, sorry to anyone who was planning to ask me um <laughs> un unless you know me well enough or i you know whatever um and yeah and, and that the night was just it was incredible so like you know i, I think the first show kind of had a rough start because there, there were uh like people in the audience who were trying to make the show more so about them than, than oh. about the comedians and i think we're able to make a lot of adjustments for our taping and i went up and just like destroyed like it was it was insane uh and then and then brandy went up and she destroyed and then mateen went up and he destroyed like we just we we kind of kept each other in on this on this com competitive streak of like all right I, I see i see you you didn't come to play all right let's let's go baby uh because and that i think that's the beauty of um I think that's the beauty of like being really good friends. She's actually texting me right now. <laughs> uh, she's she's upset with me because I I tagged her at four in the morning 
on uh, Twitter because there's a song that T-Pain made that I like that I hadn't heard before, but he won't put it. It's not on any streaming services. So I was like, Brandy, will you tell T-Pain to put this song? <laughs> She's like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, it's a song. Just ask him. He's your best friend now, Brandy Denise. You're best friends with T-Pain. So you got to get used to doing best friends with T-Pain stuff, Brandy. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah but it was it was just it was a very fun night and being able to do that with two of my like closest friends was was very cool yeah yeah i i like i, I have said now multiple times it is really cool that i've gotten to talk to each of you individually but how like this connectedness and this friendship uh comes through in, in every single conversation it is, is and yet each of you has such unique personalities that it's not like saying that uh makes you like this one homogenous blob you're each so unique um and so i yeah i mean when, my, mine is the best but yes Oh, clearly, clearly. <laughs> Don't tell Brandy I said that. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, so I am gonna I am gonna try uh, something that I haven't tried with any anyone yet. So you're gonna be my guinea pig. Uh, one of the All things right. that I have never done is at well. There might be very rare instances, but I've never asked somebody to tell one of their jokes, but I kind of mm. wanted to bring something in where I asked somebody, what is your favorite joke? And without saying anything about the content of the joke itself, why do you feel like that? Why do you feel like this is my favorite joke? Okay. So wait, so do you want me to do the joke or you just want me to talk about the joke? Not. No, 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 no. That's okay. I want you to tell me why this joke is your favorite in terms of like the way it makes you feel, how proud you are of how you've written it and how, you know, how long it took you to develop it. But I don't want you to tell us anything that's a word within the joke. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yes. My favorite joke is one that uh, it rarely does well. And I acknowledge that up top that it really does well. But it's my favorite because it's from a uh, it's from a movie that I saw and and it was it's a very obscure movie. And and I kind of I play into that as part of the joke. And then I make reference to a very obscure line in this very obscure movie. And then I play into that and and how uh, <laughs> how different that uh, could have been. But it's, it's the silliest joke i think i have and it's always just very fun for me to do despite the audience being either confused or after a while being like what is this over or uh <laughs> or or you know just how how deep i go with it that's really cool i uh i was thinking of okay so at, at, at your core you're still a kind of a band geek like you like geeking out about mm -hmm. this 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 thing but also it shows like confidence that you you may know that it it doesn't hit with the audience but you love it like you love it unconditionally and you have fun with it so that's awesome yeah uh thank you for sharing that thank you for being my guinea pig and i think i'm gonna i'm gonna try this again this little little question uh yep. Uh, is there anything we haven't talked about that you want people to know about? And you you will get a plugs uh, opportunity in, in just a moment. But is there something else that you want people to know about Martin? 
Ooh, um, know that I uh, enjoy the process and my my kind of mentality these days is if you like me, I love you. If you love me, I love you. If you hate me, I love you. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it all uh, it all kind of factors into each other in one way or another. So um, every experience, uh, good or bad, I think, you know, ties into something I, I try to write everything and um and eventually it's going to be a, a really good book that's going to hit the new york times bestsellers list you just wait and see nice nice well you can't write for for tv and film anymore so you know or for now so for now yeah yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll happen again write a book write a book <laughs> yeah no that's that's amazing uh i would definitely buy that book so thank you all right well i'm going to ask you my closing question all right. That is one word to describe your future. Rich. <laughs> now I love this combination, dumb and rich for your past. <laughs> and this conversation has been anything but indicative of, of a, a dumb past. Maybe <laughs> yeah. silly. <laughs> And I and I, I think uh, you know, rich rich isn't exclusive to money. So that's true. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. is true. I mean, I will I will be I will be rich this after I sell this book, <laughs> my best selling autobiography. Yeah. If you if you manifest it, it will happen. It's gonna happen. <laughs> well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Martin Morrow. Uh tell us where we can find you on social media and uh your upcoming projects and Besides the, the best-selling New York Times. Uh... <laughs> yes, you can find me on all social platforms, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Spill, all that, uh, at Martin M. Morrow. Morrow is spelled like tomorrow. And uh, in my OnlyFans, where I post clips and videos of my stand-up and little anecdotes, is uh, martinmorrow. Or excuse me, uh, oh, martinmorrow.me is my website, but you can find my OnlyFans, OnlyFans.com backslash martinmorrowcomedy. Okay. Very, very cool. Well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Martin got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham Presents Martin Morrow. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. <laughs>